0: 2,000 years ago, Jesus had already gone through the time where He had been baptized. He'd already walked through the idea of selecting and calling individuals to follow Him that then became the disciples that we uh, use. And that word disciple simply literally means a learner. And that's what a disciple is, someone who is learning, which by the way, is what all of us should be doing. And so, we are sitting here in a room with thousands of people. I hope we're in a room full of disciples. Because what it means is that not you're at some status that's higher or better than anyone else, but rather it simply means I'm learning from God. I'm learning from Him day by day in the journey that I'm on. And so, we all want to be disciples. And so, Jesus had called His disciples and He was walking through, and of course you read the Gospels, all the great things that God was doing. He had already walked through His baptism and He had already gone through the temptation by Satan out in the wilderness. All of those things had taken place. He's now up in the area of the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. He's walking along the shores, and you can know what God uh, did uh, during that time. Jesus was healing people, He was healing the sick, and He was uh, healing the blind. He was giving incredible sermons and speaking truth into the lives of individuals who were gathered there. And then the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that He kind of got away from the crowds. He got away from the people, and it says He went up on the mountainside. And he went up there, and he sat down to relax, to kind of take a breather. His disciples gathered around him, and then he began to teach. And that's the setting for what we begin today as we walk through uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The picture of Jesus, the words that he gave. Stuart Weber talks about this three passages, these three chapters in Matthew. He talks about it. This is the king's manifesto. In other words, this is Jesus saying, this is what you must do. Now, quick question. Don't you think that if Jesus was using this as His manifesto to His followers, to His disciples, to His learners that were walking along with Him, don't you think it's something we ought to spend some time learning from? Don't you think we ought to spend some time like digging in and find out, like, hey, what did Jesus actually say? Now, this passage that we're going to walk through. Uh, Today, specifically, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, it's a a picture, it's kind of like a a mini outline of the entire sermon from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He kind of gives us this little checklist. It's a a checklist for every believer. It's the process of the disciple. And as we today walk through these verses and walk through what is commonly referred to, commonly known as the Beatitudes… Just understand that what Jesus is really giving us is He's given us the checklist. Hey, here's what every single one of you should have present as a characteristic in your life, in the life of a disciple. And now, quick pop quiz. What does the word disciple mean? A learner. So, Jesus is saying this is what you ought to do. So, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Let's read beginning with verse 1. Again, setting up the stage, setting up the, uh, the picture of this sermon that we're gonna walk through over the next couple of weeks. It says, "...and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he, uh, when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and he taught them saying." So there's the, the, the kind of setup, there's the statement. And he get, begins to give these statements, "...blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when uh, they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, in these words, we see this picture. Again, uh, Jesus starts with kind of this outline. Here's the sermon of 5, 6, and 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7. He gives us the outline, and the one word that is repeated over and over again is what word? blessed. And the word blessed literally means like like supreme contentment, like like you've been supremely given something that you do not deserve. That's the definition of that word blessed. And so, in other words, it's an adjective, it kind of describes what you are. So it's not a noun, it's not a verb, it literally is an adjective of saying, hey, you are supremely, supremely contentment, supremely given, supremely gifted if these things are present. So let me ask you a question. Anybody here want to be supremely gifted by God? Raise your hand. Like I think we all do, right? We want supreme gifts from God. Here's what Jesus said. And so let's just walk through this checklist that God gives to us here in this passage, and let's see how it relates to our own lives. Now here's what I want you to do as we're walking through. Get your pens ready, and you've got the passage in front of you, you can circle, underline, all those kinds of things. But I want you to also take an inventory, an inventory of your life as we walk through this to see how many of these are present in your life. Now I get it, none of us are perfect. When we walk through these I can guarantee you there's not a person in this room to say yeah, I have every single one of these every single day. Not one of us can say that, but it should be something that is more present than not And it should be something that if you're still working on, that you're longing for it, like you desire it in this journey. So, let's go right back into verse 3, the first beatitude, the first statement that Jesus gives. He says this, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.'" Now, when you look at that statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, this was an understanding that the people of that time and the people of that region— they really kind of understood. Now, he's not talking about socioeconomic status here. He's not talking about what they have. He's not talking about money. He's not talking about stuff. He's talking about like what literally is present in their lives in the beginning stages of their walk with God. And what is that beginning stage, that beginning, you know, the first point in the checklist is simply this, poor in spirit, which understand this, it means complete and total dependence on God. It actually kind of uses the reference here in the language, the original language is to point to a word that we know a lot about today, it's the word bankruptcy. In other words, it means like literally I've got nothing. If you are in a business or in a a personal situation where, you know, you're having a really difficult financial time where you get to the point you've got all these creditors coming after you and they want your money and they're trying to get what you owe them and you have no money to pay them, we have a, a procedure that is put in place by the government where you can go and you can file for bankruptcy. And if you file for bankruptcy, it's a protection. They can't come after you and come in and seize all the things that you have. You can put together a plan to go about to repay the creditors, and it allows you kind of a a restarting point to begin the journey of getting back into a right position. That's the exact same picture that Jesus is giving here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This statement represents our desperation without Christ. Listen, I want everyone here in this room to understand. Those of you watching on television right now to understand. Without Christ, you are and have nothing. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter how successful you are, and there are a lot of successful people in the room. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter, you know, what uh, you've accomplished in your life. It doesn't matter all the friends or the family members that you have gathered around you. All of those things are wonderful. And all of those things are things you celebrate. And all those things are are things that, that are really good in the journey, in this physical life journey that we're in. But understand, we are desperate without Christ. And until you get to the place where you recognize, like, I'm absolutely nothing without Him, then you can't fall into this checklist that Jesus gives to us. You can't actually start the process of being the disciple, the learner, until you get to the point where you recognize when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are desperate without me. A complete dependence on God. It's a picture of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And that passage says this, this is the confidence we have in Christ that we are not able to do anything on our own because our confidence is in Christ. It all comes through Him, that you can't do anything without Him. And that's the starting point for the disciple. When you recognize, I mean, without Christ, I can't do anything. Like, if it weren't for Christ, like, there would be no hope. If it weren't for Christ, like, I would have nothing to look forward to, I would have nothing to do, I I would have nowhere to go, I would have no hope in this life. It all starts from the point of complete desperation and dependence on Him. Checklist item number one. The picture that He gives us here, Jesus gives to us, is the difference between independence and dependence. Because we live in a culture where everybody wants to be independent. I don't need anyone. I can do it all on my own. I am capable of accomplishing whatever I want to accomplish. I can do anything. I am all-powerful. I'm all-knowing. Like, it's all about me. And Jesus says, oh no, no, no. That is not where the blessed life starts. The blessed life starts in recognizing, man, bankruptcy, desperation. You have nothing without Jesus. He goes to the second statement, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. You see the natural next step after complete dependence on God and complete desperation and bankruptcy in our own lives is to recognize that the reason for that bankruptcy is that we're all sinners. Every single one of us. The Bible says, Romans chapter 3 verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means this, every single one of you in this room are desperate sinners who have no hope and you cannot find freedom and forgiveness on your own. And so, that's what he says, blessed are those who mourn. This is an understanding, a picture of like, not only do we have bankruptcy and complete dependence on Christ, but number two is we have to recognize that we are broken because of our sin. Like, we are losers because of our sin. We are hopeless because of our sin, that we recognize that those who, are, those who mourn, it's a picture like, man, my sin is so bad it breaks my heart, and hear me, if you ever get to the point in your journey or in your life where sin doesn't bother you, there's a problem. Whenever you get to the point in your life where you can habitually, continually sin without feeling that brokenness, without feeling that, that, that guilt, without feeling that gut punch like, man, what I've done is absolutely wrong, if you ever get to the place in your journey where you do not feel that gut punch, be very afraid, be very afraid. Because that means that you have gotten into the point where number one, you're not actually a follower of Christ or number two is you have built up a very serious wall between you and the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And that's a scary place. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. In other words, it's mourning the condition that we're all in, that we're just a sinner who is in desperate need of a savior. So checklist number one. Man, we understand we're dependent on God. Number two, man, we are broken because of our sin. Point number three, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This word meekness is not a picture of weakness. A lot of people would say if you're meek, then you're weak. That's not true. What this really is is a picture of power under control. Like that you actually have been given this incredible presence, incredible gift, incredible abilities because of who God is and what God is doing in your life. But what you do is you don't abuse that power. It's meekness, it's power under control. Can anybody tell me the greatest example that we have in all of mankind, in all of history of that picture? Here's what it is. If you go to the end of Matthew, don't need to turn there, but when Jesus submitted himself to the high priest, when he submitted himself to Pilate, when he submitted himself to the cross, power under control. Man, Jesus was—he's all-powerful, right? I mean, Jesus could have spoken a word and stopped that whole process. Man, I, I could just see it in my mind when I was a little kid, I used to think about how cool it would be to be Jesus, because he could probably, like, like point his hand and, like, lightning bolts come out of his finger. Like, that'd be kind of cool, right? Like, like, just shoot him with a, a lightning bolt, right? You know, pop them all dead. Awesome, right? Power under control. So Jesus said this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is a picture of humility. That humility, humility is the order of the day. And the picture that Jesus is giving here is the difference between humility and arrogance. And we all know what arrogance is, right? We've all seen what arrogance does, right? We can read the book of Proverbs and we understand what arrogance results in. It says this, that pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit comes before the fall. Like, arrogance and pride always leads to a dead end. It always leads to destruction. But what does Jesus say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That doesn't sound like a dead end to me. The next point He gives to us. Blessed are the merciful. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Again, this is a picture of the desperation that we have without Christ. Of understanding that, that our desire, our longing is not for the things of this world, but rather for the things of God. That we truly in our own lives, in our own heart, we long for the things of God. We long to see God at work in our lives. We long to see that righteousness that God wants us to experience in our journey, not only for the here and now, but for eternity in the kingdom of God and in heaven. And so he gives us a statement, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It literally is an idea, and they understood this at the time, because a lot of the people that were around, a lot of the people he were ministering to, was ministering to were people who had absolutely nothing, people who were beggars on the street. And they're sitting there and they're hunger, they're, you know, they were hungering and thirsting for something to eat and something to drink. Like, they're, they're longing, like, for sustenance here to be able to make it through the day so that they could actually get, you know, some nutrition, get something in their stomachs. Like, like, they were hungering and they were thirsting for, like, food and drink now. And so, he uses that as the illustration of the statement, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because that's completely countercultural It's completely different than what the world has, because what does the world hunger and thirst for? Power? Status? Money, stuff, sex, whatever we want. You see, the picture is here that people today, they don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. What they hunger and thirst for is the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, as Jesus gave us that statement in a different part of Scripture, that picture of what everyone was longing for, right? And hear what Jesus said, "'Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled.'" In other words, that is where you find contentment. That's where you find sufficiency. That's where you find everything that you're looking for. He goes on to say, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And this is in response to what God granted that In other words, because we have been given that unmerited favor, that grace of God, because God has withheld from us what we deserve, and that is ultimate and absolute punishment for the sins that we've committed, and because God has chosen to hold that back from us even though we deserve it, here's what He said, and now you should be the same. You should be merciful because you've been given mercy. You should treat others the way that I treat them because of the way that I've treated you. In fact, Jesus goes on to talk about that in Matthew chapter 6 in the the later part of the sermon in verses 14 and 15 when He says, hey, you should forgive others because you've forgiven. You've been forgiven because of what I've done for you. That's exactly how you should act. And that's why He said, blessed are those who who are merciful because they shall obtain mercy. The next statement He gives here is, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And this is a response that we should all be longing for is to see holiness in our lives. Like that we're acting differently than we once did. Remember, we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We're all broken because of our sin. We're in desperation, in desperate need, and dependence of God, on God. And then because of that, we're not like what we once were. And this is a picture of growing in our faith, of becoming more knowledgeable in what God has to give to us. It's like growing in what we understand about following Christ. Remember, disciples means what? Learners. the picture here that jesus is given hey is blessed are those who continually are seeking understanding seeking knowledge of what purity and what holiness of what that really means because those who are longing for that they shall see god now this is not a statement saying this that only those who are holy are going to end up in heaven that's not what he's saying He's saying, blessed are those who are pure in heart, like longing for, striving for, working for holiness, because they shall see God. In other words, that they will see the power and the presence and the work of God in their life today, as well as for eternity. That we'll actually see God working. And and listen, I, I know a follower of Christ now for 50 years in my own journey, there have been so many times that, man, when I'm really like leaning into and digging into God's Word, wanting to grow I can actually, not like in a, in a physical sense, I'm not seeing like visions or things like that, but I can actually see and recognize the hand of God at work in my life. It is unmistakable. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. He goes on to say next, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now this is the outflow of a dependent broken, humble, holy Christian, what naturally happens, the natural progression is that when you are living like this, as Jesus tells us to live, the natural result of that, the outflow of that is that you are going to strive for peace. And that not only means peace for yourself, it means peace with others. That you're not going to be that angry, a horrible person that's always fighting and, and upset about everything you're not the person who's always you know every time somebody cuts you off in traffic that you're blowing the horn and yelling and screaming and maybe worse you're not that person who is always having a in striving and, and and fighting about every little situation what you're right you're walking in peace and man don't we all want that man you turn on any you know any beauty pageant we want world peace and we really do We want peace. Yes, we want peace from wars. We want peace from strife. We want peace from confrontation. We want peace from conflict. We want peace from Twitter. We want peace. How do we get there? It's a natural outflow, a natural result of the kind of life that is dependent on Christ, that's broken by sin, that's humble in spirit, it's pursuing and striving Christ in holiness. Like, you can't miss peace if you're doing those things. He goes on to say the next statement. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus understood that walking this journey and living this life would naturally be in opposition to the world in which we live. That naturally we would face confrontation because we were doing the right thing. Because we live in a world, again, where Everyone is a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. We live in a world where everyone has the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life that is a driver for everything that they do. He knew that you would naturally face opposition when you are walking with Christ. And so in this manifesto, what Jesus wanted everyone to understand, hey, and blessed are you because of that rejoice and be exceedingly glad because the world doesn't like who you are because when the world doesn't like who you are that means that you are exactly who God wants you to be that's a pretty cool picture isn't it so let me give you in a summation form this checklist that Jesus gave to us in this manifesto, in this beatitude statement, the beginning of this sermon that we're going to walk through over the next few weeks, let me just give you a quick the quick checklist of what exactly it is that Jesus had to say. And here's what he had to say: the process or the progression, the checklist of the believer. The first one is this: recognize your desperate need for Christ. You got to write these down. They're in the notes in the, in the app if you want to get them. But you got to write these down. I think they're on the screen. They're on the screen. Uh, They'll be up, they'll stay up there the whole time. Recognize your desperate need for Christ. If you don't get this one right, the rest of it's a waste of time. Because if you don't get this one right, even if you're pursuing holiness, here's what you're doing, you're not really pursuing holiness, you're pursuing legalism. You're pursuing like being, trying to be better than everyone else. So this one is absolute, this one is like the starting point. Recognize your desperate need for Christ. Second one be broken over sin. And that means taking a conscious checklist, a conscious thought, like like making sure that in your journey, which by the way, we're all sinners and we're all going to sin. But always do like just kind of an assessment and an analysis of your journey that if you are not broken by your sin, there's something desperately wrong. So make sure that when you do sin, which you will, that it absolutely breaks your heart, that you feel that gut punch, that instantly you recognize what I just did was wrong. We live in a culture today where so many people are addicted to pornography. And and honestly, it ought to be the situation that if you ever happen to, to, to go and to look at something you shouldn't look at, something you should not be watching or seeing or reading, that instantly, I mean like instantly. You feel this guilt that just flows over you like, I can't believe I just did this again. And it makes you stop. That is what being broken over sin is all about. Someone who is treating other people badly, maybe treating a spouse badly, treating a family member or a friend badly. Man, the moment you say something you shouldn't say, the moment you do something you shouldn't do, the moment you're dishonest with them, instantly broken. Be broken over your sin. Third thing, walk in humility as a result. Now you can see it's a natural progression, right? Because if you're desperate for Christ, you're naturally going to be broken for sin, over sin. And if you're broken over sin and you're desperate for Christ, you're naturally going to walk in humility because you get it. Hey, you're not all that. You're not as awesome as you think you maybe once were, like, because you're dependent on Christ and you're broken over sin. So next is you're walking in humility as a result. The fourth one, long for the presence of Christ. Like desperately want to be pure in heart, seeking, striving for holiness, knowing God today better than you knew Him yesterday. And by the way, that should be a lifelong journey. It should be a lifelong desire. And I don't care if you're, I I preached a funeral yesterday for Doris Falwell, my my cousin, first, second, third cousin, something like that. And I can never keep track of all those things, but uh, she was 99 years old, 99 years old. So it doesn't matter if you're 99 or 105 or whether you're 8, it should be a lifelong goal that I want to know Christ better today than I knew Him yesterday. Next one, show mercy because you've been shown mercy. Like recognize that you have a responsibility, you have a duty that when other people do you wrong because you have done others wrong, because God has shown you and given you that incredible gift of mercy, like show mercy. Like, do what the world would not naturally do. The next one, work to be more like Him. So we said a few moments ago, like, long to know Him better today than you knew Him yesterday. Here, work to be more like Him day by day. Trying to be more like Christ in every journey. The next one, love others as God does. And let me just ask you a question, I think you'll get this one right. How much does God love others? He he loved them enough to die for them. Like ultimate love. You'll never be able to love others the way God loved them. But boy, you ought to try. Love others the way that God does. And then the last one, don't worry about the world's response. The world's not going to like it when you're living for Christ. So what? The world's not going to like it when you're doing the right thing. So what? The world's not going to like it when you're striving for, longing for, pursuing righteousness. Righteousness. So, what? Because when you're doing all of those things and the world hates you for it, all that it means is that you are putting yourself in alignment not with the world, but you're putting yourself in alignment with God. And ultimately, isn't that what we are all called to do? The life of the believer, a disciple, a learner. You never obtain, you never get, you never accomplish that final goal of being a learner, being a disciple. It will last until the day you hear those words, well done. And that's what our pursuit should be. God, we thank you today for this beginning few statements from the Sermon on the Mount. God, I pray that you would help us to take those to heart. God, that we would recognize that you didn't say them because you had nothing else to say. That you didn't say them because you were killing time that you said them because you want us to abide by them god i pray that we would work strive long for accomplishment in this area god that we want to be what you've just shared god i pray for every person in this room watching or listening god i pray that you would give them encouragement strength wisdom and guidance god i pray that you would help them along this journey lord to become what you want us to become that we would be disciples learners of what it is that you want us to teach uh, to teach us and god if there's somebody here that has never taken that first step of the process of being a believer and that is to believe to believe that jesus is god's son that he died and that he rose again god i pray that today right now right here that's the decision that they will make and for that god we give you all the praise and all the glory in jesus name we pray with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed Our team is gathering here at the front. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. For those of you who've been around here for a while, this is not new. We do this every single week. Whenever we preach God's Word, we always give people the opportunity to respond to God's Word. And so if you're here today and something that has been said from God's Word has spoken to you, Maybe it's something that maybe in this checklist that you've not really been doing well with. Maybe you have been kind of not really, you know, kind of moving forward in this process of a disciple, of a learner, of a follower of Jesus Christ. Hey, right now is the time to like get that right. And so in a moment, we're going to stand and Scott's going to lead us. And I just encourage you, like, take a step. You can come down to this altar and you can kneel here and you can pray. You can come down and talk with one of our team members. We'd love to to pray with you. If you want to meet Christ today, Man, we have men and women at the front of this room who who would love nothing more than to introduce you to the one that we talked about today. So regardless of what it is, if you want to come and become part of our church family, if you want to come for baptism, like taking that next step of obedience, whatever it is that God is speaking to you, whatever God is telling you today, as we stand, as Scott leads us, I encourage you to step out right now, right here, to make a first step of a lifelong journey of being a learner, a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's stand step out as we sing.
1: Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, and worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. you open up my eyes in wonder show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me
0: God today we thank you that while we are not worthy God you are God, while we don't deserve your presence and your power in our lives, God, you give it freely. While we do not deserve the gift of your son, Jesus, Lord, you were willing to do that so that you could have fellowship with us. Broken, desperate sinners in need of a Savior. We thank you that Jesus is that Savior. God, I pray that as we walk from this place today, strengthen us and lead us and guide us to to be what you have called us to be. And for that, Father, in advance, we give you the praise of the work that you will do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you move- Thank you for worshiping with us today We're so glad you joined us If you prayed to receive Christ today We'd love to hear from you We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith In Jesus Christ So send us an email to the address on the screen Pastor at trbc.org Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation The forgiveness of sins made possible By the death and resurrection of Jesus But you'd like to know more Well, we're here to help you So just reach out to us We'd love to tell you more Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.